Good day, everyone. Let's pray before we get into 2 Kings. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, all Scripture is breathed by you, that all Scripture is your Word, and so all Scripture is useful for teaching us, for correcting us, sometimes even for rebuking us, uh, but always for training us in righteousness. And so we pray that your Word might do that for us this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've uh, been looking forward to this week for a long time. My favourite time of the year has arrived, if you know me well. If you've been at Pastor George North for any length of time, you'll know I love this because I love when we come back to the Old Testament. And I especially love the history books of the Old Testament, which is what we're getting into tonight. And I love opening it up. I love helping us see how everything God has done right from the start of creation, right through, points us forward to Jesus. Uh, But when we look at an Old Testament book like this, it's a bit different to our series we've just had on the book of Hebrews, different if we're looking at Philippians or Ephesians or one of those. It's not speaking directly to our situation in the same way. So those New Testament letters are written to people living after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is us. Uh, So with a book like this, though, there's not so much what we would call direct application for us to to just take on board. Instead, we've got to actually look at the story and see how God works, who God is, uh, how he works in the world, and especially how God works to fulfill his promises. And so the particular part of the Old Testament we're coming back to is 2 Kings. So hopefully you've got 2 Kings chapter 1 open in front of you. And we're picking it up where we left off the story last year at the end of 1 Kings. Now, I don't necessarily expect you to remember what I said last week, let alone last year. But you remember we looked at 1 Kings last year. I won't ask for a show of hands, but a few people nodding. That's good. Remember we looked at, at 1 Kings. And I hope you remember how exciting that part of the Bible was Uh, I hope you remember it was all about, you know, kings being double-crossed and kings killing each other off and all sorts of stuff. Uh, You might remember about the prophets having the the battle on the mountaintops where fire came down from heaven uh, and and Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. It was real Indiana Jones type stuff. Uh, So my hope, as much as anything else, like last last year with One Kings, as much as anything, I hope you just really get into it. Uh, I hope you get caught up. Uh, in the story of the scriptures and it just stirs up your love for God's word and makes you want to read more. Uh, But to understand where we're at we need to remember the story so far and the first thing you need to realize is we've got these two books, one and two kings, they were actually originally one book. The only reason they were broken into two is there was only so much you could put on a scroll and so halfway through they cut off one scroll and started the other but really it's one story so we just arbitrarily cut it off in half last year so we need a quick reminder about the story so far from one king so have your bibles there and be ready to flick back into one kings if something uh, strikes you so this is my whistle stop tour introduction if you like a reminder about what we saw in one kings you'll also want to just have your outline there where i've got some headings and so forth but they'll also come up on the screen so the story so far and the big thing to remember is This book is all about the promises of God. In fact, that's the whole Old Testament is all about the promises of God. Uh, We need to remember the whole Bible is about God fulfilling his promises to save a people for his very own. So remember the promises he made to Abraham. I'm not going to ask you to call out what were the promises God made to Abraham. But if you can't, if I asked and you couldn't, I want to say to you, every kid in kids church here can Uh, So that means you need to do the intro to the Bible course in term four. 
Because you need to know how the Bible fits together. You need to know that it all starts with the promises God made to Abraham. So if you don't yet know what I'm talking about, you just sign up when we advertise it next week, the intro to the Bible course. But God promised Abraham that he would raise up descendants of Abraham, as numerous as the the sand on the seashore, the stars in the night sky. And then through that people, God said, I will bless the whole world. Be through your descendants, Abraham, that I will bless the whole world. And that promise of God passed through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, all the way down that came to its high point with King David. Because God promised David, it will be through your son, David, a descendant of yours will be the one who will bring God's blessing. And that person came to be known as the Messiah or the Christ. He is the one who would rule God's people forever and bring God's blessing to the whole world. And now that great promise was back in 2 Samuel 7, a book earlier than 1 Kings. And again, if, that, if you don't immediately know that, you, you need to know these things to understand how the Bible fits together. So the promise is in 2 Samuel 7, go and read it later to remind yourself of it. And so 1 Kings starts with King David right near the end of his life. So 1 Kings chapter 1 starts with King David right near the end and it sets up the key question for 1 and 2 Kings which is, well who will be the messianic king who comes and establishes God's kingdom? Who will be the son of David who comes to bring God's blessing to the world? So what do we see in 1 Kings last year? What we saw was a really, really bright start that looked incredibly promising which then descended into chaos and hopelessness. That's what we saw. Here's my summary. But as I say, you might want to read 1 Kings again this week to remind yourself. So the first part was, if we bring it up, Braden, 1 Kings 1 to 8, we, we got the question of could Solomon be the Messiah? So Solomon took over from David. Solomon was David's son. And Solomon took over and he does everything right. It looks like he could be the one. He builds God's temple. In Jerusalem, he rules with wisdom and authority. In fact, he is the wisest man the world has ever known. The world comes to him to be blessed. For one brief moment, the world is how it is meant to be. God is at the center of it. People are coming from all over the world to come to know God through Solomon. It's all looking so great. But then, 1 Kings 9 to 11, we see the fall of Solomon. It all goes bad for Solomon. Do you remember all the wives and all the concubines? Uh, Solomon stops ruling God's way. He becomes like every other earthly king, corrupt, ruling for his own benefit rather than the benefit of his people. And in fact, by the end, the picture of Solomon is that he's actually more like the Egyptian pharaoh who God saved his people from than the king that God wants for his people. And from then on, it just gets worse. It all goes downhill. So 1 Kings 12 to 16, what happens is God's kingdom splits in two. And so Rehoboam, they've all got strange names in in the book of 1 and 2 Kings. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is an awful king. And the kingdom breaks into two halves on his watch. So we've got a map on the screen. The bottom half, the bottom kingdom was Judah. That's where Rehoboam was the king and it was centered around Jerusalem. And then the top kingdom, the northern kingdom was Israel under a rogue general called Jeroboam. Very confusing. Rehoboam, Jeroboam. And that happens right through the book of 1 and 2 Kings. I don't know why they couldn't name their kids different names. But anyway, uh, but even here at this low point with the kingdom split in two, even at this low point, God's promises still stand. And God was still showing grace to his people because a son of David was still on the throne in Jerusalem. The promises were still possible. 
that they could be fulfilled. And even for the northern kingdom, God says, hey, just keep trusting me and you'll be all right. Just keep trusting me and you'll be all right. But the story of the rest of 1 and 2 Kings is basically a story of how they don't do that. It's a story of total failure. And that brings us to the section we're in, which goes from 1 Kings chapter 17 through to 2 Kings chapter 8. And I've called it the Kings versus the Prophets. So if you remember back to last year, we saw king after king after king turn away from God. And it focused mainly on the northern kingdom of Israel, but Judah wasn't doing much better. And these kings were awful. They murdered people. uh, They were immoral in every way. But what did it tell us was the heart of their sin? I just want you guys to answer me here. What, What was the heart of their sin? What was the worst thing they did? You might think, what could be worse than murdering people? But what was the worst thing these kings did? What was their sin? Someone called out. Someone be brave. Idolatry. Well done. Well done. The worst thing they did was they turned the nation away from God to worshipping idols. They didn't just do it themselves, they led the people away from God. And especially they turned them to worshipping the Baals, which were the gods of the nations around them. And so God's answer to that was to send prophets. So the prophets came with God's word to warn the kings, to warn Israel, warn Judah, and point them back to God. And the main prophet was... I was expecting more than that. Come on, wake up everyone. The main prophet was Elijah. That's right. And then near the end, his disciple, just to confuse you, Elisha. There you go. I told you it was hard. And so as we come to the end of 1 Kings, it was all these stories of the most evil king of all who was Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. That is why I've never baptized a Jezebel. Do not name your daughter Jezebel. And so what you had at the end of 1 Kings is Ahab, the worst king of all, with his even more evil wife, Jezebel, versus Elijah. And in fact, Elijah won. Remember, they had a battle on a mountaintop where where actually God had given Elijah the great victory over all the hundreds of of prophets of Baal. uh, And Elijah called fire from heaven, and and it was amazing. And so he proved once and for all, Yahweh alone is God. These, These Baals are hopeless But despite that great victory, Elijah was always the underdog. There were very few faithful people left in Israel. In fact, we're told there's just a few thousand people still worshipping Yahweh in all of Israel. And so that's where we're at. We're right in the middle of that story as we come to 2 Kings chapter 1. So let's get into it. 2 Kings chapter 1. Open your Bibles. My first heading, God hates idolatry. And this is verses 1 to 8. Now, we start, as we start 2 Kings, it actually looks like things might be on the up. Look at verse 1. It says, after the death of Ahab. That sounds a bit mean, doesn't it, to say things are on the up because someone dies. Uh, but you have to remember, Ahab and especially his wife Jezebel were evil. They hated God. So Ahab is dead. Praise God. It's a wonderful moment. But if you think it's going to get any better with Ahaziah, his son, on the throne, think again, flick back to 1 Kings and the last verses of 1 Kings. So flick back in your Bible, 1 Kings 22, look from verse 51. It says, I love that sound. You don't get that sound from a phone. It says, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Judah's king Jehoshaphat. Then verse 52, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. 
He walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him. He provoked the Lord God of Israel, just as his father had done. That is a damning indictment, isn't it? You know, at the moment, people are trying to write mean things about our former prime minister in Australia. I don't care what you think of our politicians. Nothing is as damning as that. It says, he didn't just walk in his father's footsteps, he walked in his mother's footsteps and in the the first sinner of all in Israel, Jeroboam. So Ahab is dead, but Ahaziah is just more of the same. That's where we pick up the story. And it starts with Ahaziah having an accident. Uh, They didn't have glass in their windows at that point. I don't think glass had been invented yet. Uh, I'm no expert on that. Someone will come and tell me they had glass. I don't know. Anyway, they had lattice covering this window. He leans against it. He falls out. And it's quite a tall window. He's really badly hurt. And so you picture him there, lying there on the ground, badly injured. And you sort of think, well, maybe this will bring him to his senses. Because remember what we saw in, in Hebrews, how suffering can actually do that. Suffering can turn people back to God. But no says there in the end of verse 2, so he sent messengers instructing them, go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, if I will recover from this injury. Do not go to Yahweh. Do not go to the God of Israel. Go over to Philistine country, go back to my mother's country and go and ask one of their gods, Baalzebub. But the messengers never get to Baal because an angel comes to Elijah, tells him to cut them off, he intercepts them, with a word from the one true God. Look at verse 3. It says, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, You will not get up from your sickbed. You will certainly die. Then Elijah left. I think you can actually hear the sarcasm in God's voice in what he says there. I think you're meant to hear the sarcasm. It's God actually mocking Ahaziah. He says, am I not here? Seriously, am I not here? Have I gone somewhere? Do you not understand how perverse it is to ask an idol for advice when you have the God of the universe here? God is saying, you are just a fool, Ahaziah. But of course, he is a fool just like every one of us is a fool apart from Jesus. See, we were like Ahaziah before we came to know Jesus. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that the essence of sin is that we exchange the truth about God for a lie. See, we get caught up worshipping the created things rather than the one who created them. See, for us, of course, it's more likely to be the God of pleasure or the God of money or or the God of real estate or the God of success. We don't worship statues of Baal, but it is exactly the same sin. And the wages of sin is death. And so Elijah tells the king, don't bother asking Baal, you're going to die. It's just a matter-of-fact statement of judgment. Just like God says to us, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Or like we saw in Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And so the messengers take this back to the king By the way, I think this whole story is actually written for us to see the humour. Don't be afraid to laugh in these stories, even though they're very dark. The king says, what's this all about? You can't be all gone all the way to Philistine and and, and back already. Who gave you this message? And they say, some guy, some hairy guy with a a leather belt sort of told us. And the king is a bit like those cartoon characters 
when their nemesis arrives on the screen. You know, when like the Joker says, Batman, you've got me again, you know, or, or, or Elmer Fudd says, rascally rabbit, you, you know, you've stolen all my carrots. He, see, he knows, I'm just telling my age there, you haven't watched those cartoons, have you? But this morning they knew what I was talking about. He, he knows who this hairy guy is. It's Elijah. That's, that's Elijah's look. That's why when John the Baptist wanted to say, I'm the new Elijah, what did he do? He wore furry coats and wore a leather belt around his waist. He was like Elijah. And he's saying, my dad's nemesis is back. And so God has spoken. Ahaziah is going to die because God hates idolatry. But Ahaziah is not giving up without a fight. Second heading, God shows who the real king is. And this is verses 9 to 12. Now, as I say, Ahaziah isn't happy to let things rest there. No hairy prophet is going to tell him that his time is up. So he sends one of his captains with 50 men to Elijah. And the captain calls out to Elijah, man of God, the king declares, come down. Now, please understand this, because some people get a bit funny about what happens next. They say, how is it fair what God does to these men, which is kill them all? Uh, Now, firstly, first thing you need to remember is, remember, we are all sinners. And if God treated everyone fairly, we would actually all die on the spot for the wages of sin is death. But God, by his grace, lets us live and gives us the opportunity to repent and turn back to him and find forgiveness and life. So it's actually a misguided concern from the very beginning when people raise that. But more than that, these soldiers are not coming to seek an audience with Elijah. They're not innocent men. You send a messenger for that, not 50 armed men. And they're not coming to give him a guard of honour. They're not coming to keep him safe on the roads. This king has sent them to arrest him and to kill them, kill him. And when the captain says, man of God, the king of Israel tells you to come down, he is actually showing that he's backing the wrong horse. See, he should know the kings of Israel do not order the prophets of Israel around. Israel is not like the other nations. God is the true king of Israel and the king only rules under God. It's the prophet who tells the king what to do, not the king who tells the prophet what to do. Prophets challenge and rebuke kings. See, what this actually was, was a declaration of war. This general was saying, man of God, the king who worships Baal tells you, the prophet of Yahweh, to come down. You see, the thing is, in a war, you choose sides. These men chose the king. They chose Baal. There were still a few faithful people left in Israel who didn't do that, who had the courage to say, I'm with Elijah, I'm with God, but not these soldiers. And so God responds and protects his prophet, but more than that, he shows them yet again who the real king is and who the real God is. Look at verse 10. Elijah responded to the captain of the 50, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. This is showing everyone yet again, who's the real king? Is it that fool who fell out of his window? Or is it the God who brings fire from heaven? And who is the real God? Is that silly little idol over in Ekron? Or is it the God who brings fire from heaven? But the king doesn't learn and he sends another 50 and the same thing happens. Which, by the way, just shows you the evilness of this king, doesn't it? He just sends, he says, I've got plenty of men, I don't care, I'll just keep sending them, they can die. But this is a reminder to us, there are shades of grey on many issues. 
There are things where it's right to say, I don't know. There there are shades of grey on all sorts of things. But not your loyalty to the Lord. Are you with God? or, Or are you with Jesus? Or are you against him? It's as simple as that. There's no sitting on the fence. Which brings us to what I think is the high point of this chapter, my third heading. God shows grace to those who fear him. This is verses 13 to 15. So by this time there's, by my count, 102 smoking bodies on the mountainside. But Ahaziah doesn't care. He sends another captain, his men in. But this guy looks around him and he knows who the real God is. He knows who the real king is. There's no arrogant command this time. Look at verse 13. The third captain of 50 went up and fell on his knees in front of Elijah and begged him, man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Already fire has come down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s. But this time, let my life be precious in your sight. Do you notice how different this man is? The others stood at the base of the mountain and ordered Elijah to come down. What does he do? He goes up to Elijah. There's no bold posturing. He's on his knees. There's no bold command. He just gives a plea. In fact, I think there's actually a statement of faith here. I think this man actually converts at this point and becomes a follower of Yahweh. Do you see how he says, these servants of yours? He's saying, we are not servants of Ahaziah. We're not servants of Baal anymore. We are servants of God and his prophet Elijah. And so God lets them live. Look at verse 15. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. So he got up and went down with him to the king. It's really interesting, as I was preparing this week, many, many people who talk about this passage question this guy's faith. And they say, this, this captain's faith. And they, they wonder, can it be true faith because it comes from fear rather than grasping God's love? I don't think they've read their Bibles. God is to be feared. One of the reasons I trust in Jesus, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons, is that I fear God. I hope you do too. I know that hell and God's judgment is real and it's to be feared. I know that what awaits me if I don't turn and put my trust in Jesus, what hell looks like makes this look like nothing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I would argue you only actually truly understand God's love, you only truly understand God's grace when you first understand how fearful God's wrath and God's anger are. You only understand how wonderful it is that Jesus died for your sins when you first understand how awful it would be to have to die for your sins yourself. See, that's what you see here. This man, I think, is a wonderful example. He was wise to fear God. His fear led him to repentance. And so God showed him grace. And that is the gospel. It's the same for us. And please, though, remember this about our Lord as we read these passages that focus a lot on death and judgment. Remember, God would much rather forgive than judge. God would much rather rain down grace from heaven than rain down fire from heaven. But he will only do that if we turn to him in humility and faith. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33. It says, Tell them, as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Please remember that God would rather forgive than condemn. God longs to show us grace 
He loves to show grace to those who turn to him in faith. That brings us to our final little part of the story, my fourth heading, which is God keeps his word. And this is the last three verses. So Elijah marches in to see the king. There's no messing around. Look at verse 16. Then Elijah said to King Ahaziah, this is what the Lord says. Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel for you to inquire of his will? You will not get up from your sickbed. You will certainly die. Elijah was nothing if not a straight shooter. Uh, Ahaziah, you are going to die. And then to make the connection totally clear, straight away we're told, look at verse 17, Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. This is really, really important to grasp this. Do you notice how matter-of-fact it is? Do you notice how it doesn't give you any details about, doesn't tell you whether Ahaziah argued with him or not? It doesn't say Ahaziah cursed Elijah. It doesn't say he begged for mercy. And do you notice it doesn't say how he died, whether someone killed him or he just dropped dead or he got a disease. It doesn't care. It just says Elijah said the word of the Lord and so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord. And it's making the point God's word works God keeps his word if God says it it happens now for Ahaziah that truth that God keeps his word that truth was a terrible reality and is still a terrible reality for people who refuse to turn and trust in Jesus for forgiveness isn't that right everything God has said happens well look at what God has said Hebrews nine twenty seven. Man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. Or John three thirty six, The one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. God keeps his word. God has said that is what we face if we do not trust in Jesus. God has said that is what we face if we turn away from Jesus. So if that is you... 2 Kings chapter 1 says to you, do not be like Ahaziah. Be like that captain. Fear the Lord. Turn to the Lord. His word will come true. But for most of us here, this is actually an incredible word of comfort, I think, that God keeps his word. Because we know that God has made wonderful promises to those who fear him. God has made wonderful promises to those who have turned and trusted in Jesus. God has promised us that if we trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven and God always keeps his word. And God has promised us that if we trust in Christ, nothing can take away our place in his kingdom and God always keeps his word. Look at these promises, John three sixteen: For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God has said it, so it is true. So for us who trust in Jesus, how wonderful is it to know that God keeps his word? What was an absolutely horrible truth for Ahaziah is actually the greatest news in the world for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken wonderful promises to us that you have promised us that if we trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. That if we trust in Jesus, we have a place in your kingdom. So we thank you that you are a God who keeps his word. 
But Father, we pray that we would not be like Ahaziah, but instead we would be like that captain, that we would fear you and so turn to you in repentance and faith and find the grace and salvation you long to give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.